0: for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals.
1: I am David Paris. I am a COVID survivor. My near-death story meant that in 2020, when the pandemic really hit uh, New York City, I was at the center of it. In March, I was hearing around the world people were dying, and I wasn't worried. I was forty. 5 or 46, I was relatively healthy, and I thought things would be fine. Then one day I got sick, and then the sickness lasted a week, and then I fell asleep in front of my fridge in the morning, and I woke up barely breathing, and I thought to myself, "Mm, I might have a problem. I actually was trying to get back to bed, but was too weak, and I got phone calls from my family that said, you need to go to the hospital. I'd made my way there. And the moment I walked in to the hospital, I went from barely able to breathing to couldn't breathe at all. Within seconds, they put an oxygen tank on me and I realized, oh, I actually had been breathing in a long time. Didn't know that until I actually felt what oxygen was. Put me in a wheelchair and I was like, okay, maybe this is pretty bad. Uh, I spent the next five days probably hallucinating pretty bad. If you've heard the COVID stories from people in the hospital, the hallucinations were out of control. Uh, I kept having to kick hundreds of people out of my room. I found out later nobody was in my room, (laughs) but it felt like they were all, I know. it's like, it was a wild, wild, wild time. And uh, then I remember the moment where they said, okay, we're gonna have to put you under. They were intubating people not knowing at the time, twenty percent of the people survived. The last words were my sister telling me, "You know, only twenty percent of people come out of this." And I'm like, "Ah, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it." And I had that kind of attitude because I thought at the time, you know, only the older people die. And then that's when things shifted. I can say from this reality, I'll talk a little bit about, which meant in the next day, they went from intubation, like a medical coma, into an ECMO machine. The ECMO machine is what they use when you have heart surgery. So uh, it does the work of your heart and does the work of your lungs and while you're unconscious. Usually they do it in heart surgery, you know, anywhere from 12, 24 hours. I was on it for a month. And that first uh, few days, my heart stopped four times. And it's a little controversial, what I'm about to say. I actually remember the moment I was dying. Some people said, how can you remember this? And I remember because when I did wake up a month later, the clarity of the moment of facing a spirit. I was in a theater, and in the theater was this, uh, almost like a Buddha, but not quite, it's this Japanese figure, I actually there is a, what do you call those things where you have a, a mythological figure, but you I've never seen it before, but actually there is a something uh, of that. And I had somebody look it up and I, I saw this creature, and they said, sorry, you're dying. And they pointed to the exit sign. And I said, I cried. I was like, I begged. You know, it was funny. I, I, up until that moment, I was so scared of uh, potentially, I was kind of depressed in my life. And I was thinking, ah, if I die, it'll be right. I did a lot in my life. I was in America's Got Talent. I was a semi-finalist. I was an acrobatic dance champion. I, you know, did, I did a bunch of cool stuff, you know, when you actually face death and you're like, oh, that's it. Uh, I'm not somebody who necessarily believes in afterlife. I didn't. And I was like, no, I'm not ready to die, please. And then the figure showed me this curvature of a, of a half moon. And in that, just apologize and saying, sorry, you're going, you're done, this is it. And that was what activated something inside of me that I'll never ever forget. Whether it happened in the moment I was dying or whether it happened afterwards, I, I can't say. But I will never forget saying, no, I refuse to die. There's just, I. there's no way I'm gonna let it go. And the spirit told me, well, okay, we're gonna let you try to struggle to live. But if you fight to live, you have to fight more than you've ever had in your life for longer than ever you had in your life. Of course, you're about to die. You'll say, yes, you'll do whatever. And then I spent, I can't say, it seems like years, months, years, something like that, in an open sea, just fighting for watching boats to go by so I could grab onto something, you know, that sea of life metaphor. So it's like when you're in that in-between world, I know you do stuff on like near death. My near death is <laughs> not like other people's near death. Mine is like in the midst of intubation. So it'd be, it was more like uh, metaphors and, and such. And I remember, I can't tell you what eternal, some combination of an infinite amount of boredom as you struggle to stay alive. But when you're out there and you want to live, you just do it. And you hear those stories about people who like stay out in the ocean for like a a day or two. That's what it felt like, except it was like a month. And I fought to survive. And um, in this world, the Situation you could see slowly after that first week, I got better and better, but it wasn't really clear until the third or fourth week in intubation that I would live. Uh, but when I woke up, I remember the clear dreams where I didn't want to come back to this world because when you're in that other world, and I know a lot of other people near death say this, you feel so at peace and so connected to something higher. You don't, this world around is like, wait, what is this? <laughs> and it's strange and it's hard, but I do remember, I was telling this, I remember being in a library and my friend told me that's the book of life. I'm always working in metaphors, but it's was just like in the library, the spirit said, you really want to go back to that world? And I did. And I did. And I woke up. And when I woke up, they said, every day people would come in crying saying, Oh my God, I can't believe you lived because this was nyu this was new york and the hospital and one in every 200 people died and they were they had like big trucks of like refrigerator trucks of dead people and so mine they consider it semi-miracle because i didn't just i wasn't just innovated i i wanted apps to steal but i had lungs to steal so it was like not a good situation uh but it was interesting i i, I felt the other side and when i came back It was nice. Everybody was giving me lots of energy, but I also, when you taste the bit of the other side, it's not easy to come back here. And that's, I'd say, even this is now three, over three years, three and a half years, maybe four now. And I can tell you, I still struggle, still struggle with uh, living in this world. I've always had a panic of dying. I remember the first time I saw Star Wars and that whole planet was obliterated and it occurred to me, oh my God, that just might be it like this. And from that moment forward, that thought brought panic on me. And I don't know if panic is fear, I guess it is fear, but it's not something that's conscious. It's not like, oh, I'm experiencing fear. It's, I will do whatever it takes to live, (laughs) you know? I will do, panic is like, and so I'd say panic, yes. Fear, no. Although some might argue panic is fear. I don't fear death anymore. I do know that there's a spirit world that exists. And it's a bit strange because I spent my whole life fearing death. And when I woke up, I was like, oh, no, there's there's something else. And I, so I don't have that doubt. I didn't grow up religious. I didn't grow up not religious, didn't grow up with anything. And it became clear that when you connect to that, peace. And, you know, my friend said, well, you know, that peace you think is God is just might be the the drugs you were on <laughs> or like something like this, you know? So uh, you hear that argument. It's like, well, maybe that is what it is. It's hard to uh, know for sure. But what I did know is when I was in recovery, I started associating my fear of death, that it wasn't death I was fear of because you don't know one way or another. What you fear is, the panic of losing, it's its the fear of losing your life. And it would happen because I was, when you wake up from a coma, your whole body atrophies, you can't move. It's really strange. So like you wiggle for the first few weeks and then every month afterwards, you slowly get your body back. It's a very interesting process. So you fall a lot. <laughs> so I remember feeling the panic of falling and my therapist was telling me that terror you feel about death is actually panic of just your life going. And you don't want to confuse the fear of death with the fear of actually what's happening, which is just your, maybe I'm not explaining myself well, but I don't fear death when I realized that the feelings I was having was really not about death. It was just about the natural part of the body reacting off of losing itself, as opposed to some closure that I was worried about. So there was it was a different fear. And once I could define the fear as simply, oh, this body, of course it's gonna feel terror, as opposed to a concept of complete obliteration and nihilism. Once I was able to distinguish those two things, yeah, my fear went away. I don't didn't have fear anymore. Um it sometimes comes back every now and then, but more often than, than not, No. And I do tell people, when I tell people my story, they can feel me feel spirit. And when they do that, they go, oh, wow, there is that other side. And I go into that. But, you know, I I, in the last three years, I do go back and forth. I studied all the different religions and death and what they thought of it and came to the conclusion there. You don't you're not going to know one way or another. And so, like, (laughs) at that point, I learned as you go through... uh, this experience, you you experience intense anxiety and intense depression as you come back to the world. And I've had to really been forced to learn how to deal with my anxiety thoughts and depression thoughts. And when it comes to death, it's actually not worth, it became clear. It wasn't worth it. And I just kind of let it go. Cause I'm not gonna know one way or another. Before my near-death experience, I wasn't able to see it that way. It just, all I experienced was panic and terror. It was actually when I was falling and experiencing the same panic. And I realized, oh, it's my physical body, as you were saying, or the memories that I'm I'm fearing of losing. And it's not so clear that's going to happen. So it just became an unnecessary experience to fear that which can't be understood. One of my biggest triggers in life is like, oh, I'm always thinking what should happen. And the moment I think of my shoulds in the world, I could tell my brain starts getting rattled in anxiety and I lose myself. And when I breathe and let the shoulds go and articulate the things that I do love, that was the gift. And for me, having a near-death experience was an incredible gift. I was, I saw spent my 20s and 30s uh, seeking to be an acrobatic all-star. In my dream, in my coma, one of my biggest memories, changed everything, was once I was getting better, I was dancing in all of the biggest conventions in the world, I was an all-star. And I remember being offered something finally to satisfy this desire to be an all-star. And I I remember the spirit told me, you just need to drive to the bottom of the world, take this diamond to take it to the top and you'll finally achieve everything you wanted. And I said, fantastic. And the spirit said, but you'll have to, run some people over on the way. And I was like, no problem. <laughs> I no problem with that. And I immediately got into the car and I drove to Von World that to took the diamond. I took it to the top of the world. And I remember it's like one last chance. Are you sure you want to do this? And there wasn't anything that hesitated because my whole life all I wanted was glory. All I wanted was that admiration of people looking over me, fawning over me. And I finally got it. And it was this diamond and I brought it to the top. And in that moment, a spirit took me, I don't know if I can really share the depth of what happened, but a spirit took a sword and sliced me in half. And at the same time, in the other hand, showed me an infinite amount of worlds and and realities to the left. And I remember being humbled by the wackiness of, oh my God, I've been leading my last 25, 30 years, maybe longer, trying to achieve this level of happiness. Whereas when you see the depth of what the spirit showed me, it's absurd. It's like, why would you do that? And from that moment forward, I don't know when it was in my, when I was in the coma, probably my guess is somewhere in two, two weeks. But I remember waking up with clarity from this to say, I will never seek that level of experience of life again though what i want from life is people and i knew i was not married uh, or i was divorced i didn't have kids and i thought for the last 25 years i pushed everybody away only if they helped me achieve my dreams to be an acrobatic all-star which i somewhat achieved but i still wanted more and when i woke up i said Oh, this was empty, and I had to. When I woke, it's funny. I got a uh, parade when I came home. People were so happy that I came back, and you know, hundreds, maybe not, maybe a hundred people, or something like that, outside my house were so excited to see me, and they gave me everything I've always been looking for, <laughs> but like only because I was alive, and I got like this different type of love. I didn't have to perform to be loved. I was loved because I'm a. I was loved for me and. I was able to distinguish finally that my worth as a person and who i am is what i want to live and be cherished by not by my accomplishments and since i got home the last three years have been completely different and i could never live the life i lived led before and so for me near death was a it was a connection to spirit but it was also the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it shed the doldrums and my life became very different. I wrote 18 books the last three years. (laughs) I know most of them are curriculum books and they're self-published so it's easy to write but because I'm a I was a social emotional teacher at the largest middle school in Brooklyn and I thought to myself I have all this knowledge it's not there it's like I'm gonna write it and I did that. I wrote everything I wanted to do and when you have near death I think Everybody will say, You don't go back to the life you lived. You push yourself to create the connection between people, do the art that you've always wanted to do, contribute. For me, it was contribution. Contribution was the most essential thing to do. And um, yeah, three years later, now I do want to do America's Got Talent one more time. (laughs) I called the producer and I said, All right, I got a great new act. And It's true, but I do it in a different mode. I do it because now I want to share something, not because I'm great, but I want to share a story that's going to be connected to people. If it happens great, if it doesn't, that's okay too. I'm not tied into the happiness, but I am tied into what makes me happy, what makes the people around me happy, but instead of trying to get something that will make me happy. And that shifted for me forever. When you're in a coma, you don't take in this world the way this world is. It's kind of like when you sometimes wake up and you are not quite here and you had an existence in your dream and you're trying to get back to this world, but you already have another world in your dream. Being in a coma is like that. And when you're in that other world, the other outside information. My my dance partner, my ex wife, she played all of our music. Um, the reason I was having all these visions of dancing because she was playing all of our shows right next to me <laughs> when I was sleep when I was in the coma, and so like it was infusing. And people would have conversations with me that I remember that were in my that got into my dreams, and that's why I, I say this because people will say, you know, do people really hear you if you're in a coma? And I'm like, I can tell you 100%, there's no doubt in my mind that I heard everything and felt it. I don't feel it in the way that we're talking now. It gets produced in a metaphors and different type of, uh, in that in-between dream world that like sort of like interprets the outside world and puts in whatever story is running. I say that because first, so yeah, there is no sequence or one spirit. There is definitely... It was just depending on what was happening in the outside world and what journey I was going on in the inside world. Some parts of the journey was fighting. Some parts of the journey was, I mean, it must have been the drugs or the dancing, but I was having a great time. Like It was a glorious experience. And then sometimes there were deep lessons. Like That one moment, I think it happened to me two weeks in, into the coma, that was a different spirit. Most religions, there's that. Uh, spirit that shows you the underworld and that shows you the divinity. In, in Hinduism, the Arjuna is taken by Krishna to see the cosmos. And I was a religion major in college, so it's not totally, you know, so some of that might just be influenced from my, but I, to be honest, I didn't think much about religion for the last 25 years. So it was very surprising to have all the spiritual experiences while under. But yeah, it wasn't one spirit. It was based on what was going probably a A bit was happening outside and my body recovering, my desire to stay to live, and trying to reconcile while living. It's like when you reconcile while living, for me, it wasn't just fighting to live. It was also reconciling my life and that was happening at the same time and in order to reconcile that i needed to take on the big questions like why did i spend 25 plus years trying to only achieve glory whereas glory is quite an illusion you're going to be happy if you do that it feeds an ego rather than feeding what i assume other people have seen that i didn't know but which is like life is meant to be connecting and and spread love and experience love and that's not the way i lived (laughs) it's the way i Mostly live now as much as I can. And, uh, but it's not the way I lived. And so during the coma was really reconciling the disharmony inside of my soul that needed to be balanced. And yeah, to me, I I thought I was ready to go. I, I was married. I had a good life, a good, good career, excellent friends, amazing experiences. But when you want to extinguish things, I've done great things in the last three years, but nothing worth necessarily living for. Where I said, Oh, I have to live. I think some people stay alive to like take care of their kids or to stay with their family. I wasn't that connected to anyone. I felt I needed to do that. It was a pure, to be honest. I mean, other people apparently had a great connection to me, and that and that made some ways that way, but my connection, I didn't really experience that. I just thought the face-to-face face with nothingness is terror, just terror panic sit-in. And I was like, actually, no, I take back everything I said about uh, wanting to die. I, I refuse to let that go. I could say, I know the experience of being connected to a higher force. And I could tell you that that's a better world. And once you connect to that, this world seems odd. That memory's still in me today way stronger than the nihilism. Sometimes the nihilism comes in, but it hasn't, it did the first few, but if you look at it, like you said, I don't think it was death. And I was working with a therapist in the hospital who really, she was an interesting one. She told me to face the fear, face the terror, don't walk away from it. And I said, oh my God, if I feel this terror, I'm gonna like, I feel like, you are gonna throw me in a loony bin. And she said, uh, well, if they do, I'll, I'll get you out, I promise. And so for the first time in my life, instead of running away, I faced the fear. And I can tell you, it's not fun. But for the next set of months, I just faced death and fear of death and just accepted fear as a separate reality than the concept of fear of death. It was just feeling the fear. And once I felt the fear enough, it opened up space for me to really know that I don't know anything. And that's actually more my reality than anything else. And I do remember feeling connected in that other world. And when you feel that connection, that's where my money's on. I think that's there.